Is that, oh, you do need it to record it? Okay, can, how about that? Okay, awesome. Okay, sweet. Well, um, like Andy said, um, my name is Jane, and I actually work for an amazing organization called World Relief. So we're actually an international um, Christian humanitarian organization, and um, I'm super excited to share with you guys about um, God's heart for refugees. So I'm going to share a little bit about myself first. So I am Korean-American. Um, I was born in Philadelphia, raised in New Jersey. My parents moved us over to New Jersey. Um, yes. Um, and I actually grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly Jewish. And so I actually thought that all white people were Jewish. Um, there were more synagogues than churches in our neighborhood. There were very few churches, actually. But um, we actually grew up going to a church in West Philly. And it was a Korean church. And it was actually in the projects. And, um, and it was just down the street from West Philly High. And our church building was actually shared with um, a Cambodian church. So we would have service in the morning. They would have service in the afternoons. And, um, and this was really formative for me because um, I, I realized I was going to school with kids of um, Jewish refugees. And their grandparents had fled. Um, they were fleeing genocide, persecution, war after World War II. And then we went to church in a building that was shared with Cambodian refugees that had also fled for the same reasons, genocide, persecution, and war. And it really wasn't until I was like an adult that like all those like, you know, dots were connected. And I was like, whoa, it's, it's really crazy that these are the doors that got opened to bring people to the US. So I actually want to invite you guys to, um, at the outset, we're going to take a look at something in the Bible, a story of some refugees. So we're going to look at Matthew 2, 13 to 16. So it says, When they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So what would you do if someone was searching for your child to kill him or her? The gut level, like human instinct, would be to run, you know, to flee, to hide your child, and to ensure your child's safety. Like, as a parent, that's like just how we're built, you know? And it's wild, because this is actually the Christmas story. It's the story of a king that was born as a refugee. And we're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he began his life as a refugee in hiding. He began his life on the margins, and he began his life in a manger. So what is a refugee? 
slide, but it says, um, a refugee is a person who has been forced to flee their home country due to persecution because of their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. So what would you do if you knew that people were searching for your family to kill them because of their race, because of their ethnicity, because of their politics, or because of their religion? What would you do? And this sounds like so foreign to us here in the U.S., but it's crazy because this is actually a reality of our brothers and sisters around the world. And this is actually the reality that many people that have fled to the U.S., this is the reality that they're fleeing. This is a reality that a lot of refugee families here in North County have sought refuge from, and I've actually met refugees from all over the world um, here in Oceanside, in Carlsbad, in Escondido, in Fallbrook, in Bonsla. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and I actually recently met an Afghan family that had been in an apartment in Carlsbad since October. Um, the husband was um, a commander in the Special Forces, and he worked with the U.S. military, and his family was actually a lot like my family. Um, three young kids, eight, six, and four, and um, because he worked with the U.S. military, he knew that if they stayed, they would surely die. And so here I found them. I visited them in their apartment and um, sleeping on the ground on carpet. And um, they just were grateful to be alive. They were just grateful to be safe. And, uh, um, and they would rather be in an apartment sleeping on the ground and safe than be in their home country. And they didn't want to leave. Um, the rest of their family members, um, brothers, sisters, grandparents, they're all still in Afghanistan. So I walk away from these visits, um, and I honestly don't even know how to process, you know, what I'm seeing, and even the gratitude that I'm seeing. It's like, it's very sobering, and it's really humbling. Um, but I know that we follow a Jesus also that can probably relate to their life experiences more than he can probably relate to mine living in Carlsbad. Um, but the model that he gave us um, through his life is we see this model where he chose intentional displacement from heaven into a broken and fallen world that he so loved that he became one of us. And he wasn't born in like a noble way. He was born in a really, really humble way. And he didn't stay in the temple and like yell like, hey, come on in. You know, like he wasn't, it wasn't like that. He was like, I'm going to go out on the streets. I'm going to make my table with these outsiders. I'm going to make my table with the marginalized. I'm going to make my table with people that the religious would never make a table with. And he welcomed these people in from the outside and he made them family part of his kingdom family. So it's pretty crazy because during the 70s, churches in Southern California actually decided to do the same. So they decided to make their table with outsiders. And they followed this model that Jesus gave us. 
and they took this call to radically welcome seriously. So with the Vietnam War, um, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but Camp Pendleton was actually turned into a refugee camp for hundreds of thousands of refugees that were fleeing Vietnam. And this was actually how refugee resettlement was actually birthed in California. And it was actually the local churches, these local believers, who came around these families and welcomed them in. And they took Leviticus 19.33 to 34 seriously. So it says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I'm the Lord your God, Leviticus 19:33 to 34. Now take a moment and think of a time when you were an outsider. I think we all know what that feels like. You know, you're on the outside and you're looking in, but think of a time when somebody actually welcomed you in. So I wanna pause right now and have you think about that and share with somebody next to you. If you're not next to somebody, get next to somebody and we'll take like a minute and share with each other really quick. So is that the right time? I'm like, what time does that say? Well, I don't there. know. Uh, I wish I was more on top of things. <laughs> you're doing great. It's your birthday. I do want this. What time do you guys? Though, okay. Because I want to see your face. And then you what know, time do you guys like wrap up? You should be done. If you have like, it's, a lot, it's 1045 right
All right. So we all have been there, right? We've all been on the outside. We all know what that feels like. But we also know what it feels like to be welcomed in, right? So in this verse, we see this reminder that's just built into it. And it says, you were foreigners, so you know what this is like. Treat them as your native-born. Love them as yourself because you know. So during the 70s, churches throughout Southern California welcomed in these foreigners, strangers, refugees, and they chose to walk alongside them, to love them, to befriend them, to share their lives with them, to share their homes with them. People were hosting people in their homes. And we see the effects of this welcome evidenced by the number of Vietnamese churches throughout Southern California. Um, we see this evidence here in San Diego in Mira Mesa, convoy area. Um, I see it in my office with this amazing coworker, Mr. Long. Um, he's Vietnamese American Christian, and he just is loving all the people that God is just bringing um, through our office doors. And, um, and it's crazy because this, all these things that we see is evidence of what took place just a few miles from here. You know, and the wild thing is that now um, with the crisis in Afghanistan, um, we're now expecting 20,000 Afghans to arrive here in California. And um, they're coming here to call this place home. Um, and the numbers actually are growing daily. And um, it's pretty wild because California is actually the top um, receiving state. So after California is Texas and um, Virginia. And, and it's crazy that California of all places, like for some reason, like God has just blown open the doors here. And globally, there are actually 80 million people around the world that have been forced to leave their homes. And this number is like staggering and like it's hard to conceptualize. But basically, that's the equivalent of every single person that lives in California, Texas, and Georgia put together. So imagine like every single person in these three states having to flee for their lives. And it's crazy because that number actually grows every day by 44,000. And they're fleeing, for, they're, they're fleeing for their lives. They're praying for safety. They're seeking refuge. They're fleeing war, persecution, torture. They're fleeing the Taliban, ISIS, drug cartels. And they're fleeing so that their children will not be killed, just like some refugees named Mary and Joseph that fled so their baby wouldn't be killed. So what are we supposed to do in the face of these numbers? Like 80 million 20,000, and it's like, oh my gosh, like, what do you even do as one person? And what are we called to do as followers of Jesus? And honestly, it is really paralyzing. Like, there are days where I get phone calls and emails, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know. And on top of that, I have my kids, you know, who are like asking for all kinds of things. And I'm like, I don't even know where to begin um, to know what to do, like, with everything that I'm hearing. 
So a few weeks ago, I had um, a really incredible um, privilege of sitting with a young 19-year-old Afghan woman. Um, she was raised by a single mom, and she actually got a full scholarship in partnership with the U.S. Embassy to attend a university in a neighboring country. Like, outrageously bright and exceptional. Um, she looked like she was 14, but she was 19. Um, so she graduated high school early, and she finished her freshman year at this university. And it's, it was actually a satellite campus, um, and the home campus is actually here in the U.S. Um, and for her safety, I can't mention the name of the university. But um, she finished out her freshman year, and um, everything in Afghanistan blew up, and she couldn't go home. And her whole family is in Afghanistan. So now she finds herself here at 19, alone. And there are no hopes for her family to come here. They're actually in hiding. And um, because she's connected to the U.S. Embassy, um, they are not safe. But they have no way of leaving Afghanistan right now. So there aren't any hopes for her to be reunified with her family. Um, she's not able to go back to Afghanistan because she will definitely be killed. And, um, and she's here alone. So maybe you remember what it feels like to be 19. And maybe you have a 19-year-old. Maybe you have a 19-year-old daughter or a niece. Now, imagine that they are in another country alone and you don't have a pathway for reunification. Now, I want you to like consider that. Like, whether you're thinking about yourself at 19 or your daughter at 19, your niece at 19. And I want to read through these following scriptures. So we'll start with Deuteronomy 10, verses 18 through 19. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 10, 18 to 19. The next one is Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Hebrews 13, 2. So there's a sweet young family in San Diego that took these verses really seriously, and they felt God just nudging them. Uh, everything had blown up in Afghanistan, and um, they were like, God, what do we do? Um, the husband's actually in the military, and the wife is a stay-at-home mom. They have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. They're actually from Atlanta, but they're here while the husband's being stationed here. And... Um, and the mom had actually been helping set up apartments for newly arriving Afghans. And she's like, I want to do more. I just feel God calling me to do more. So the next thing she knew, she was connected with my 19-year-old friend. And she was like, well, I have this RV that we store on our property. And she was like, could she live there? 
And so they ended up taking my 19-year-old friend in, and um, they opened up their little RV that they had stored, and she's living with them on their property, and they're sharing meals together. And they've been actually, she's been living there for, um, since September. And um, she actually has been attending church with them. And she's going to a mommy Bible study with them. She's not a mom, but all this group of like young moms have, has like totally taken her in. And um, she'd actually never stepped foot in a church before. But she has just found herself surrounded by this like new family that God has given her. And she's learning who God is. And she just is realizing like God has his hand on my life. And God sovereignly brought me here. And she, it's just blowing her mind just the way that she's like, I'm alone. But she's like, I'm not alone. And in the same way, I have another friend, Molly, who felt this similar, like, nudge from God. So she was walking around her apartment complex with her dog, and she happened to see this young family, and she just felt God, like, nudging her, like, go talk to them. And she just, she was like, no, I'm not talking to them. (laughs) She ignored it. And she was like, she could tell that they weren't from here. She was like, they look like they're Muslim. The wife, the mom was covered. Um, and, and she was like, you could just tell that they were, they were new. And so she, God just kept nudging her, like, go talk to them, go talk to them. And she was like, no. She's like, God, I'm busy. I got to go to work. I have errands. And she was like, and I don't want to be that weirdo. She's like, I don't want to go up to them. I don't even know what to say, you know. So, I mean, for two weeks straight, God is just like, go, go, go. And she's like, no, God, stop it. So one day, she was out walking her dog. It's like 7 a.m. She's walking her dog before she goes to work. And she runs into this family. The dad with the, with the kids, and he's walking them to school. And um, her dog's just barking. The kids are scared. And the dad is telling his kids in Farsi, don't be afraid of the dog. It's not going to bite you. But you see, Molly's Persian. She's Persian-American. She loves Jesus, and she speaks Farsi. So she hears them, and she's like, oh, my gosh. She's like, this is why God was nudging me. And so she actually responds back in Farsi, and she's like, yes, my dog is not going to bite you. And the dad and the kids, like, fell out. They were like, what? You know? I mean, it was like, she said it was like this crazy moment. And the next thing she's, she knew, she was in their house. She's bringing them sweets. She's taking them to the DMV. She's helping the, the dad study for his driver's test. She's bringing them groceries. She's making them meals. And they have welcomed her in. She doesn't have family here. Her family's like all over the world. And she was like, I welcome them in. But she's like, it's actually them that have welcomed me in. And oftentimes... When we think about missions, we think it's like missionaries that have been like commissioned. They have this like super special call in their lives. And yeah, in some cases, that's definitely true. Like we see that in the Bible. We see it with Paul. Like God clearly had a really crazy call in Paul's life in sending him out. And God does continue to send people out to the nations in the same way, but We're living in such a unique time now, like here in San Diego, 
Because God is actually bringing the nations to our doorstep. And they're seeking safety and refuge here. So maybe missions is not about like this crazy call, but maybe it's actually just about us responding to like those nudges that God gives us. Maybe missions is actually about breaking bread together. Like this little family in San Diego that took in my 19-year-old friend. They literally opened their doors, like pulled up a, a, a chair at their little table with four, you know, and um, they just opened up what they had. And, and they didn't feel like they had that much. They're like, we're just a young family struggling, just like everyone else is, you know, living in San Diego. But she was like, but we have this thing, you know, this little RV. And it's pretty crazy because if you look in the Bible, you can see that throughout biblical times that this was one of the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus' followers, this radical hospitality of loving strangers. And it's how people actually knew that those, they were Jesus' followers, like those crazy people, they're Jesus' followers. And the crazy thing is that that's actually our story. Like we ourselves were once outsiders. We were far away. We ourselves were once strangers. We were foreigners. We didn't belong. Like, we didn't belong here, you know? And we have this Jesus who was born as a refugee, but could have been born in any other way. And he broke his body. He spilled his blood to make us family. And it's amazing because God has given us this opportunity to show, like, by our love, the world will see. So maybe missions is actually about responding just to nudges to love the stranger in your own neighborhood. That people that are in our own lives already. Maybe there are people at work. Maybe there are pe- people at school. And we actually learn how to love missionally by practicing with the very people that are already around us. So think about your own life. Think about that one strange person in your life. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. We have, we have that in our neighborhood. The person who um, doesn't engage with anybody, keeps the blinds down, um, drives into the garage, and, and they don't engage with people. I think everybody has one of those in your life, you know? And, but maybe God is actually, like, nudging us, like, hey, like, there's more to the story. Because um, we're reminded, we actually were that one we were that person at one point you know so maybe the best way for us to prepare to love refugees to love the stranger to love the foreigner to love the nations maybe that is actually learning how it's about learning how to love our actual neighbor right now because it's actually about who we're called to be regardless of who we're around so a couple years ago, my husband and I were um, listening to a podcast, and it was um, by this husband and wife. They have a huge heart for revival, and they made this statement that has, like, stuck in our brains. It's just kind of been, like, resounding, and they, they made this statement. They said, family is what is going to change the world, meaning this, that Jesus, who welcomed us with radical love, is he made us sons and daughters. Maybe he's actually teaching us how to radically welcome others. And maybe building kingdom is actually just about that, like 
re-envisioning family and enacting that family and loving outsiders like their family. So I want to um, have you guys also take a moment, and I want you guys to read this, this final verse with me. So this is Deuteronomy 10, 18 to 19. And I'm going to read this over your church. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Deuteronomy 10, 18 to 19. So I want to close out with a few questions. So I want you to think about who is somebody that God is nudging you about? What is God asking you to do? And when are you going to do it? Invite a neighbor that's a stranger, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe at work, maybe at school. Invite that person over for dinner. And also consider supporting here your local church with a year-end gift. So think about these questions. And um, I want you guys to turn to your, your talking partner and share who was someone that God is nudging you about. What's God asking you to do and when are you going to do it?